You ready? Ready to go. All right, you ready? Go ahead. Hello, everyone. I'm Jay Ward. I'm joined by our engineer and producer, Matt Strauss. And I'm Wayne Carini, and this is Talking Classic Cars. Well, everybody, we're doing things a little different this week. You know, normally we like to have our guests with us in the studio, but what you're going to be hearing is a recording that we did live at the Pebble Beach Concourse Car Week, where we sat down with Max Gerardo, Ray Evernham, Tori Bellici, Chip Foose, and Chris Jacobs to talk about their automotive lives and how it intersected with entertainment. I think you really enjoy it. So have a seat, buckle up, and listen in. So we're up here. We're here. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Wonderful to see everyone and be here at Pebble Beach. This is my 39th Pebble Beach. And I know that because we got married, my wife and I got married 39 years ago, and she, she told me to go back to Pebble Beach and have a good time. So here we are. <laughs> and she's never, never said don't go again. So, so here we are. And great to be with so many friends and, and Ralph and Adeline Murano, they're out there in the audience. It's, it's great to hang out with car people and enjoy our, our company. And then, of course, with my, my good friend, Jay Ward, spectacular. And if you, tonight, if you get an opportunity to go over, and Jay's got to tell us about a car over at RM Auction before we get started. Yeah, so uh, for those of you who saw the movie Cars, you might remember Lightning McQueen had a girlfriend, Sally Carrera. She was a 996, beautiful blue 996 Carrera. Portia called me about 10 months ago and said, hey, could we do something for girl-based charities, Girls Inc. and Ukrainian refugees? Could we do something that celebrated Sally Carrera? So Pixar and Portia collaborated for the first time in history and created a one-of-one, one, a brand new 992 Carrera GTS in Sally Blue, 996 homage wheels, special badging, special interior. It's a completely custom one-off, truly a one-off 911 that will be auctioned off for charity at RM tonight. Starts around 5.30 and we hope to see some of you there to bid on Sally. And it's gonna be the opportunity to own one of one. That's it, they're not gonna make another one, so. Special car. Special car, special charities. Yep. It's always fun to talk to friends about cars. Yeah, and that's what we're about to do right now. Yeah. And it, the great thing is, is everybody we're having up, these are people that we're friends with. These are people we spend time with. I've known Tori and Ray for many, many years. And it's funny because cars are sort of this unifying thing that bring us all together in different ways. Raise your hands if you've ever seen a TV show called Mythbusters. Have you, anybody heard of that show? Yeah, kind of one of the most popular shows in the world. Tori has been on that show, was on that show from its inception, from the very beginning. But Tori and I go way back before that. Obviously, I'm at Pixar. Tori, years ago, worked with a lot of my friends at, at ILM and Phil Tippett Studio doing model making before he got on Mythbusters. And it's actually a funny story how we connected through Mythbusters. So Tori's getting ready to start on the show. It actually was, was it the pilot at that point? We, we had, you know, the, the, the show started and basically if you don't know what Mythbusters is, it was, we would test urban legends using the scientific method. And we, we learned really quickly that if you blow stuff up, you get good ratings. <laughs> and so, so that kind of became, we, it was like, we, you know, we, the, the first real big explosion, we blew up a cement truck and everybody loved it and we're like hey this is cool like you know this is working we we found our our magic you know the lightning in a bottle and so we were testing a myth um if you get behind like if somebody's shooting at you getting behind a car would that protect you <laughs> and so everyone was you know we were all like fresh on the show and so it, everyone was like does anybody know 
anybody who can get us used cars or any kind of classic cars. And I was like, I got a buddy, Jay, he's way into cars. And so I called him up and I'm like, we need a giant Cadillac. Yes. And he was like, yeah, I, you know, I got a, a line on that. And so we brought the Cadillac out up to the bomb range, lined it up, you know, we all took shots with, you know, machine guns and everything. And so we were like, oh my God, this episode's so great. And then we were trying to see if you shoot the gas tank, it would explode, it didn't, but then we blew it up anyway. So we were just like, that was such a great episode. But then when that episode aired, we got so much hate comment, like all the car enthusiasts were like, you idiots, you just destroyed a classic car. Like you guys are morons. And we were like, ooh, okay, we gotta be careful with which cars we, you know, decide to destroy. Yeah, it was a, it was a 68 Cadillac Coupe de Ville. But, but in my defense, my buddy owned it and was driving it and part of the front clip like disintegrated and the suspension was gone and the frame was trash and it was gonna get totaled. So the car was pretty much dead anyway, but that's how we met. And, and, and so next we have Ray Everham. Of course, everybody knows Ray, fabulous crew chief for Jeff Gordon for so many years and a racer in his own right and a really good guy. And one day I'm in my office at work and, and I'm, I'm on the telephone and talking to a friend of mine on the West Coast and I look out and I said, Ray Everham just walked by my office. What the heck is he doing here? Well, it just so happens that his lovely wife is a big fan of mine, so she bent his arm to go down and visit Wayne and, and we've been good buddies ever since. But talking about blowing things up and crashing things, and good ratings. I mean, NASCAR is really famous for that, right? <laughs> oh yeah, without a doubt. You know, and, and I saw that show, by the way, it was good. I, I didn't write anything yet. I was like, yeah, well, I wonder if that really works. So, cause we thought about going out and shooting some stuff, but you did it for us. So we didn't have to do that. But you know, in the NASCAR world, you know, it, it, nobody likes to see a, an accident, especially if you have to fix all the stuff like I used to. You don't want to see anybody get hurt, but you're sitting there like, when we're not racing and one of our cars is not in the race, when you have a, a two things that really put ratings up, when you crash and then they fight, <laughs> that that puts. So we we have a lot of of that, and you know our history certainly in NASCAR, and I'm honoring him today. The Junior Johnson, you know, came from you know moonshining and running cars, and a guy like Junior was able to really you know not make not just make millions of dollars running NASCAR. He then legitimized moonshining and made millions of dollars doing that. So uh, so in honor of, of him today, and Junior Johnson had also been in a couple of fights <laughs> in his NASCAR career. <laughs> well, you know, NASCAR is, is something that we all watch every week. And of course, as the laps wind down, you, you're waiting for that moment where that big pileup is gonna happen. You know, you don't wanna see anybody get hurt, but it's all part of the racing. And, and it's part of the thing is, figuring out who's gonna come out unscathed and have a, have a chance to win the race. And I think that that's a big part of the sale, sell, selling point of NASCAR on television. Well, it, it is, and I think it's that, that's the selling point of, of, of anything, right? Live television, live you know, competition, and again, Wayne, what you've done with your show, and, and Jay, certainly, you, know, you with the movies, and, and Tori, what, what you've done. You know, that, that anticipation, it's our job, right? You know, just with, with our shows, Americana and Glory Road, to, to entertain and to educate and create emotion in people. And when you're watching something live like that, that anticipation really creates that, that emotion. But you do an amazing job with the education and entertaining it, and, and obviously a lot of emotion in your show. And I think that's why people watch us on television with the cars. The cars are very, very interesting, but the stories behind them are the reasons that people watch us. Americana brought us to so many different aspects of, of automobiles that we had no idea about. You focused on a lot of the moonshiners and, and how NASCAR started, and it was a great show. 
and we need to bring it back. So yes, we'll, we'll try we to do. do that. Bring yeah. it back. We'll work on that together. Yeah, so, and Tori, going back to you, like, so the first episode, you got the, the, the hate mail about the classic car, but you guys did so many things with cars since then. Vehicles really played a big part in the show that later parlayed into Motor Mythbusters, which we'll get to that in a bit, but you also are a bit of a car person yourself, and you're local as well. Maybe people don't know that you're actually Monterey local, but tell us a little bit about your kind of car history or, or how your automobile involvement has happened. Yeah, you know, the... Your Conquerors has been going on for years, but it never used to be this big. So, you know, I started coming like in 2005 and it was usually just the last weekend. Now, you know, just over the years, how the, you know, Monday of car week, there's something going on every single day. So it's just been really awesome to see how Monterey has become this kind of like hub for all these cars. And you just, you know, it's like, you don't even have to go to some of the shows. You're just downtown and there's these insane cars just parked on the street. And it's just, I love it. it. So for me to be, you know, to move back to Monterey, I grew up here. It's just so exciting to be a part of it. And yeah, I just, I, I love it. And, and one other quick question. How did you make the transition when you were doing model making? You know, that's a different skill set than acting on television. And Honestly, none of us were trained as classic actors. I mean, Ray, you, 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 you've, had to, you've, had to, you've had to pull off some, some, some acting to get by with some stuff that you guys raised, <laughs> but you're not a classically trained actor. None of us are. How did you find that transition to being, was it weird to see yourself on TV for the first time or to realize people knew who you were? Like, how did that happen? It, it was probably the worst thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating. You know, I was, I did special effects. I worked on Matrix. I, I worked on the Star Wars, the bad ones, the episode, you know, the prequels, episode one through three, <laughs> the, the crappy ones. But anyway, so I was a behind the scenes guy, built models, you know, blew them up, you know, so that was like my dream. And so when Mythbusters started, they're like, we need you guys to come on as builders. And I was like, do I have to say anything? They're like, no, you don't have to say anything. You're just, you know, every once in a while you'll be on the camera, you know, they'll film you cutting, you know, gluing stuff together, but you don't have to talk. And I'm like, great. So we start the first week in, they're like, okay, this isn't working. It's going slower. So you guys got to become hosts. And everybody was stoked except for me. I was like, this is the worst day of my life because <laughs> imagine being at work and having a camera crew following you, catching all your mistakes. And they love it when you catch, when they catch the mistakes. And I remember the first episode came out and the, they cut it together where we had this argument, but they didn't cut out why I started yelling at somebody. <laughs> it was just me yelling. And I just, I looked like a complete a-hole. And so I called my dad and I was like, dad, I, I, like, I don't know if I can do this. I just saw the episode. They make me look like a jerk. And my dad's like, well, Tori, you are a jerk. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? You, that's your personality. Well, you're kind of a smart ass. So just embrace it. And so that was kind of what I, I had to do to like, just get over it. You get to know how to work the system. That's for sure. And Ray, how about you? I mean, you know, you and I have worked together since Cars 3. For those of you who don't know, Ray did a voice for us in the third Cars film. We created a character named Jackson Storm, who was this bad guy that raced against Lightning McQueen. And we wanted to also feature the roots of NASCAR. So I went to go visit Ray. We really weren't friends at that time. Sat down with him, started learning about the roots and Okanichi and North Wilkesboro and Moonshine and really getting deep. And Ray has an intense, deep, deep knowledge and love of the history of racing, all racing. And, uh, and I thought, this guy has such a cool character in himself. So we got him to be a voice for us. So he's the voice of Jackson Storm's crew chief, Ray Reverham in the movie and he did a fantastic job for us. And that was just icing on the cake to say thank you for what you did for us. But 
before that, like how did, how did television collide with, with your world? What was that like to, to host a show or how did that come about? Well, you know, the, the, the acting was kind of easy for me because I used to have to act going through NASCAR inspection going, oh yeah, that car's legal. It fits all the templates. <laughs> yes, sir. No, we're, we're good. So that was, so I was uh, trained to, to go through there. But, you know, it, it's, with, with our shows, I really have a love and, and passion for, for the, the automobile and, and the timeline of the automobile because I really feel like the automobile follows a timeline, re really dictates the timeline of, of our, our American pro, you know, progress as socially, you know, our, our, our design, what we wear, what we see, the music we listen to. I tell everybody, you know, you look back at your family scrapbooks, no one took a picture of their cell phone. They might be taking a picture with their cell phone now or their refrigerator, but all of your family moments, you know, you're, you're there at Easter as a kid with taking a picture by your car, you know, your first dates with your car. And there's just something about the automobile that's always amazed me. So when we went out there, and, and again, like Wayne, and I'm gonna tell you straight up, you know, we used Wayne's shows a lot of template. I don't like scripted stuff. You script to tell the story, right? So there was no yelling and screaming and whatever, you know, we did that. They just didn't get it on there. You know, that was, that, that's just me. But, you know, being able to go out and be yourself and talk to a lot of car people and capture that, it, it's amazing. And, and I'll tell you, the, the four years that we did that show, I met some incredible people and some cr incredible stories about America and, and automobiles. And it was just, it was easy, easy to do. Uh, so I, they, they didn't ask me to act a lot. You're the only one that asked me to act, you know? And so <laughs> it was like, and, and it was hard doing the Cars 3. We had a great time at Pixar, by the way. We spent hours out there talking about stuff. But the day that I had to do the voiceover, it was like, okay, take, 327, just do that a little differently. <laughs> I was like, I only got one line, you know? <laughs> Voice do over that again. Say, you know? But it was, <laughs> what an experience doing that movie. You cannot believe how much detail goes into a film like that until you spend time. And I was lucky enough to tour around with, with Jay promoting the movie and, and, and be with the people at Pixar. And I was totally amazed of, of what, it, what it took to do that. Yeah, and I think that's part of, of why we like the Cars movie so much. And if you're a car person, you pick up on certain things. So Jay's in charge of all the little details, the tread in the tires, the size of the tire on the vehicle they're talking about. Everything is precisely investigated and all, you use all that knowledge to, to make it so that it's more believable. Yeah, I, I'm called the car sultant is what I like right. to say, the car sultant. Yeah. Yeah, same, same as Ray Revenham. Yeah. <laughs> Max, look behind you. <laughs> that was your line, look behind you. I'm really good at that. Yeah. You've done that before, 324 yeah. times. We had that one and I had to laugh. They were like, you know, be a, you know, be a little more of a villain. So I went back, you know, I was born in New Jersey. I've been in North Carolina over 30 years, so I've kind of lost the New Jersey accent, but I had to go back to New my New Jersey accent, you know, so Ray Reverham had a little, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> McQueen. <laughs> He's good at that. <laughs> you should use him again. Can we get one more take? Just, just one more take. Uh, take 328. Go. Yes. That was fun. Max, I, I mean, obviously you, you, you travel all around the world. I mean, how much do you think some of these shows translate, you know, globally or in the UK, and how much of them do you feel like are, are intrinsically American? Do you think there's a love? I mean, you have literally been around the world. Well, I can tell you that NASCAR is definitely, literally very American. We definitely don't do anything like that in Europe. Now, cars, now that, that came over. Yeah, we like cars, that, okay. that, was, that was good. It's still, it's still translated. No, there's certain things. Car, the great thing about cars is that it brings people together from all over the world, and everyone, it, everyone 
comes together because of the cars. And I think, I think that translate, the passion translate across the whole globe from England to here to, that's the best bit about it all. That's yeah. that thing that we all have in common. You know, in talking about you, Max, I mean, you get up in front of an audience to auction cars. Max was a former auctioneer for RM, and, but you know how many languages? Four languages. Four languages. So he would start talking about the car and he would see a bidder in the audience that's bidding on the car, and maybe he's Italian, and he starts talking to an Italian to the, to the bidder, or German, or whatever it may be. Whatever it takes. And they go, what, what's going on here? <laughs> and sometimes the, the, I get confused and the, the bidder isn't actually Italian, and the bidder is literally going, What's going on? Why is he talking Italian? I don't know what he's saying. <laughs> but it looked good for everyone else, right? Oh, it looked impressive. <laughs> he did that to me, and it cost me twice as much as I thought I'd <laughs> Raising your hand. This is, but speaking of international, what I think is crazy is I fly around the world a little bit for cars things, so I help develop product in Japan or Europe. I have been in Japan and turned on the TV and watched Chasing Classic Cars, and he's speaking in Japanese. And I'm like, how? what the heck? Or I've seen Tori on Mythbusters in Germany, and he's speaking in German. It blows my mind that some of these things literally go around the world and they find somebody local. And of course we translate our movies in 54 languages, but that these TV shows do live globally. A hundred percent. I can tell you, I go to Italy a lot, a lot. And the amount of times that I, you know, Wayne Carini? <laughs> yeah. Why? Oh my God. And then they put the TV on and literally it is amazing to see you speak Italian. You are fluent. I, it's I'm very <laughs> Possiamo parlare italiano se vuole. <laughs> see, I grew up in a, an Italian household, but nobody spoke it Italian. So. <laughs> Well, I tell you, when I see you on TV in Italy, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> it, it, it it's really something. We're, our show is shown in over 100 countries, and my voice is dubbed in over 50 languages. And I've met Japanese, a dubber that, that has my voice in, in Japanese, and German, Spanish. So I've m met several of the people that work as my voiceover, and it's kind of cool to, to see that happen. I've watched several shows, too, and I'm going, whoa, boy, that looks bad. <laughs> <laughs> What did I just say? But they actually, they, they, you can hear my voice and it's turned down and then they dub over. It's like a two second delay and then they start speaking in oh, yeah. their own language. Yeah. But it is kind of strange to see yourself on television. I always, when, the first time I was on TV, I go, oh, this is weird. This is very strange. I turned the TV on, it's there. And then my grandson was, was born and I, about maybe a year and a half afterwards, he's sitting and he's watching the show and he's looking at me and he's watching the show and, and he's gone. I don't know. <laughs> Is it the same guy? Yeah. So with the time we have left, because we have some other special guests coming up, tell us a little bit about both what you guys are up to now, yeah. what, what's going on with you in the entertainment world or otherwise. I was, I was just in a movie for my first big movie break. I'm in the new Jackass movie. <laughs> uh, yes! And so, you know, I got called by Jeff Tremaine. He's the creator of Jackass. We worked on a show together and he was like, hey, can you come into the office? Because Knoxville, he wants, he has this dream forever. He's wanted and he, you know, wants to see if you could help make his dream come true. And I was like, okay, what's like, what is it? He was like, he's always wanted to light a fart underwater. Oh, wow. And he was like, do you think you could pull that off? And I was like, I, you know, but I'll come up with some ideas. <laughs> and so I remember it was right before COVID, you know, the, the shutdown and we were having these conference calls and it, and I'm like, oh, like, this is a serious conversation that we're having. So anyway, we went down to, I went down to LA and I'm not going to tell you, you're just going to have to go see the movie and see, yeah. see if, if we achieve the, <laughs> your big movie shot. break. It was my big, it was my big shot. I was like, oh my God, this is quite to the, the premiere. So Ray, so Ray, you got something to top that? I got nothing. You know, 
we sold a bunch of our cars, including our Pebble Beach winner, and you know had a at at the Meekum auction in May a lot of our race cars. And since then, have been gathering new stuff, projects to build. I've gotten very, very interested in the vintage racing. I'm very interested in the Concours world now. You know, doing some of the things here, panels and and whatnot here, and Amelia and some of the things. We're really working on some programs that may possibly bring an event like this a little closer east and in the Charlotte area to try and introduce it because I love this world. I've been buying a lot of ex IROC cars. I, I started my career with Roger Penske at IROC many years ago, many many years ago actually, and. I think that that the history that those cars have will someday really catch up with you know their value will catch up with that. So we've been buying those and really preparing to restore. But spending a lot of time traveling around with with my wife Erin, who is a, a tremendous racer, and and Wayne's right, you know, like Erin has spent time you know with with the the Jeff Gordons and Dale Earnhardts and and AJ Foyts and Mario Andretti's. And one day we're walking from Amelia Island, she's like, oh oh oh, oh my God, there's Wayne Carini. <laughs> so we had to go over and, and hi, I'm Ray Everham, and Wayne has been super gracious and a, and a great friend since, but really trying to take a little bit of time and enjoying ourselves. I'm out here as a fan, hanging out, talking to people and figuring out what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, we've got a couple other guests to come up on stage and what we're going to do is have them join us right now. Thank so you guys. Thank you very much. Yeah. Ray and Tori. I think we've Chip Foose coming up uh, on stage next. <laughs> and Chris Jacobs as well, thank you. And we got Chris Jacobs. What do you guys sell? <laughs> Time shares. Magazines. Time shares. Hey, Chris. Hi. Hey, welcome. 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 So you guys have seen these guys before, actually, okay. on the same show. I was calling you, Wayne, to tell you we were really bored back there. Oh. Was that what was going on? Get us out here already. My phone was ringing, too. Where's Ray? Crazy. Where's Ray? Great interview. <laughs> Hi, Ray. You guys, you guys have seen these guys together working countless hours on projects, and then we all go, how do they do that? Of course. We just met back there. Oh, right. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> A show of hands, how many people have seen overhauling? I'm hoping. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought so. All right. We're, we're, not, we're not mysterious about this show. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. How many years ago, just off the top, how many years ago did overhauling start really quick and how did it start? 19 years ago. We started filming in 2003 and aired in 2004. Okay. And were you guys together right from the beginning? How did you guys yeah. meet? Wayne well, didn't even have gray hair then. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> we, we did not know each other, but we were, we were together from day one. I can distinctly remember walking back into the kind of, you know, hangout area behind Budnick's shop and meeting Chip and uh, Brian Fuller and Jim Holloway and the original kind of crew of Overhaul and Kevin Bird. I mean, it was only like seven guys who built the first car. It was amazing. Yeah. So, so the premise of the story of overhauling was is you'd find a car, you'd make a mark. So 
you'd go out and, and, and put a wig on or something like that, yeah. steal the guy's car. Yeah, lots uh, of fake teeth and wigs. That, yeah. was, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that was your part. That was your That was my part. Yeah. Or, or fake yeah. police badges and things yep. like that. Yep, a yeah. lot, of, lot of false identifications. <laughs> but these were, these were submissions from friends and relatives of that person. Eventually it got to that point, once the show got popular enough and people knew about it, we would get, I mean, literally thousands of submissions. We were getting between three and 15,000 submissions a week. A week. Yeah. And that was before the computer, so they, it was all mail. You know, you see the joke where the mail truck comes up and they just bring boxes out? I would get literally three to five of those boxes a day full of mail, and we were trying to run the business at the same time, but all this stuff was coming to the business, so we changed our business address to a P.O. box so we could separate it, so we could find all of our business mail. But we were getting that mail... Bud Brussman with BCII, who was a producer, was getting mail like that, and the network was getting mail like that. And we had to go through those and find great submissions. So now you get the car, and you've got the car ready to go, and let's say it's an El Camino or something like that. Now you go and you design what, through what the people say that the person that owns the car really would like to have happen to the car. Is that correct? Right. We had an insider. So the mark is the owner of the car. The insider is the person that submitted their car and we did the prank on the mark, but I would talk to the insider to find out what the mark really wanted to do to their car. They would give me what they thought they wanted. Well, we want a blue car and he wants, he just wants to make it a good runner. And you know, it'd be nice if it had air conditioning and disc brakes and you know, he loves the blue on this, this car or this car, but he also likes this color. So I might two-tone it and I would use my design influence on the ideas that they gave me and I would do a quick sketch or maybe two or three of them say which one looks like the mark you know what would be his car they would pick it and then I would do a final drawing we would build the car and then surprise them with it so the bill I'll tell you a funny story about Chip and, and the process of working with the insider on designing the car <laughs> for the mark so he would he would ask them like what he thinks the mark would want and these people you know are not a design mind like chips so they'd be like well you know he really likes orange and so you know i think it should be an orange car and chip would do a super quick sketch of an orange car and they'd go yeah yeah and he'd go well this is what i think might be better <laughs> you would sketch it out again with what chip thought and then they would you know their eyes would pop and they go oh yeah that looks amazing so in the end, Chip would always gently guide them towards, you know, a, a better car, really nice a better design. design. Exactly. Yeah. No, there's another way to do that. If you were thinking of what, if I was thinking what I thought I would do, maybe I'd do a sketch and then I would say to him, now you said something about doing this. Is this what you were thinking? Yeah. <laughs> you just lead them down the path. That's all. It was their idea. The power so, of so, suggestion. So you, you've got the car. And this is the big thing. How much time did it take to do a build? And I know the answer because you and I are buddies. But When we first started, we did the first five years. Those cars, we had eight days to finish them. Eight days. Eight so if days. We started, and we always started on different days because wow. usually we'd finish one car and then we had two or three days to move the shop and then start the next one. But if we started on a Monday, we gave the car back the following Monday. So eight days. That's a question we get probably more than any other one. Maybe, you know, what's your favorite yeah. episode is, is the question we get most. But did you guys really do it in a week? And as Chip said, for those first five seasons or so, it, it, we only missed one time, and that was only by about 12 hours. Wow. In the first five years, I called Chris speed bump. Because when he would come I up- Slow everything down, ha, ha, ha. Oh. <laughs> I get it. I would do the eight days with what zero sleep. <laughs> 
I might take a nap while the car was in the spray booth, but I couldn't sleep. I just lay there thinking about, I got to do this, I got to do this. So if we ever could not find Chip on set, you go to his truck and lift up the tunnel cover. And more often than not, he's in the back of his truck taking a nap. That was like his preferred I had private built a bed space. in the back of my truck yeah. underneath the tunnel cover. And but also, that, conversely, that, I have seen Chip stay up, no doubt. I've seen him stay up for multiple days on end, especially at, at SEMA. Like, he has literally stayed up three, four days in a row working on the car to get it done. When we did him in eight days, I always stayed up the full eight days. But the no longest sleep. I've ever gone was 11 days without sleep. Uh, 11 days, no sleep. That's not healthy. That's not good for you. It's not, but... That's why Chip that stopped. He'd take some time off. That was second term of Art Center, and I was building four other students' models. So I had a side job. I was building other students' models. Uh, Chris, when, when you're doing this, especially when you're faking that you're somebody else and you're literally stealing somebody's car... Yes. You must have gotten... Because it's real... You must have gotten yourself in a situation where the police, real police were called. Oh yeah, no, early on, before we started getting smart about it and actually letting the Huntington Beach Police Department know what we were doing, <laughs> instead of just we straight up, up impersonating yeah, them, you know? Yeah. We ended up using the police to help us. Yeah. We actually had them on the show a few times. Well, there was, there was one, the Connie's Corvette. Connie's so we're Corvette. doing, we're, we're stealing this woman's car out of her garage and we took everything out of her garage because we made it seem like it was a crime scene and I we hadn't made my me my police character proper business cards so she goes to her husband who was in on it with us she goes I don't trust this guy I'm gonna go inside and call the real police <laughs> so she goes inside to call the real police and it was the Fullerton Police Department this time yes. so he goes, she's inside calling the police right now. Oh, so I just like sprang into, you know, damage control action. I go, I grabbed one of our camera guys. I go, come with me. And because we, we had cameras out and about because it was as if it was like crime scene investigation. Okay. That was our excuse for having cameras. And I see the police walking towards us down the sidewalk. And I had about 45 seconds to explain to them, we're doing a TV show. <laughs> we're stealing this woman's car. And you've got to help us out and cover for us right now. And the cop just turns to his partner and he goes, I can't believe this. <laughs> and, he, and he actually did cover he for did. us. <laughs> While he told her that we're legit. While he's talking to him, I walked up behind, behind them. And then I handed the officer my business card. And he looked at that. He says, well, I know who you are, so I know where to go. <laughs> and then he bought it. Yeah. Okay. okay. And backed us up. But you had the police show up and you literally had... A few seconds to tell him, yes. please don't put handcuffs yeah. on me. Okay. Well, not to don't blow, blow the whole deal. Yeah, because right. that would have been blown out. Right. But her husband was there also saying, no, that's my wife. We're playing a, a joke on her. Yeah. Scary. And then once the show got kind of popular and, you know, police officers tend to be car guys and they were watching the show and were fans of it, they, the Huntington Beach Police Department helped us out numerous times with pranks to give it legitimacy. And also the LAP. Well, Chris also used several of the officers' names when he had fake names. Oh, they were real names of the honey. I would pay honor to them. And all my friends, like any name you see me use on the show as a prank name are usually my friends' names or, you know, <laughs> police officers. Gary so, Abrams you use yep, a lot. That's right. Yeah. Officer Abrams. Yes. And, man, you know, a lot of police officers come up to me and, uh, you know, they say I'm a fan of the show and they tell me what they do. And I go, you know, I hope that uh, I did you guys proud. And they're like, well, you know, you were kind of inept. I go, yeah, but I always got the car back. I always <laughs> solved the case. <laughs> it's true. So, so Chris, you're, you're doing Mecham auctions now. Yeah, I just actually got off camera at 
2 o'clock from 10 to 2. I was and, making and do a great job with Thank that. You. You're, you're a great commentator. Thanks. You, you talk really quick and don't have to think about it. It just rolls off your tongue. Yeah, you know, I, I Google is my friend, obviously. I do a, a quick little, you know, research. Because I like to give the audience a little tidbit that they might not know about a particular model of the car. You know, you can you can give the engine displacement and, you know, options all day long. But I like to give the audience something that maybe they didn't know about the car. And we want to know a little bit something that maybe they don't know about you. So you right. also did another show. Yep. It was called... Long Lost Family. Long Lost Family. Anybody watch Long Lost Family? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. So, so please explain to them what that was about and why you were involved. Yeah. So Long Lost Family, we would reunite people who were adopted with their natural families, either parents looking for children or children looking for parents or siblings looking for each other. And that's my story. I was adopted and I reconnected with my birth mom when I was 23. And it's been a wonderful experience ever since. We've got a great relationship. And I always say that that show is the most pure project I've ever been involved with because, you know, obviously in television production, there's a certain amount of pre-production that sure. has to happen. And, but there are two moments on Long Lost Family that absolutely cannot be faked. And that is the moment that I tell the person who is searching that I've found the person they're searching for and that moment where they're reunited. And I'm getting wow. a little emotional. Yeah, I would, I would lose it. Yeah. I would absolutely. It's pretty amazing. So if you haven't seen Long Lost Family, please watch it. And if you don't cry, you are a robot and you will be arrested. <laughs> but yeah, I'm very proud of that show. Thank you for mentioning And, and, and Chip, what's, what's on the horizon for overhauling? Any more overhauling? I don't know if we'll do overhauling okay. again. I know the network has uh, been in discussions with Bud Brutzman, the producer, and they've told them that, or they've told Bud that they would like to do something. Yeah, but we don't know what it's going to be yet. And this has happened over and over again. We've been canceled three times and <laughs> brought back the, twice. Welcome so to the television. Yeah. yeah, hopefully they can bring us back a third time. That's the way they control what they pay us. Yes. <laughs> you, you know, you know and, and talking about that, I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh. We, we went and did a commercial once out for, for um, which network was it? And they sent us out to the California desert and it was Dana Meekum, Chip, Myself, I, I don't know if you were there. I can't, well, was that the one in Vegas? And they didn't want us to talk to each other. So they got separate cars to drive us out to the desert from, the, from our hotel, instead of taking one vehicle. So you go in this one, and there was about eight limousines driving out to the middle of the desert. And we said, what the heck is going on? Well, they just didn't want us to talk to find out how much are you making? What's going on with your contract? So yeah, that was that was kind of a strange thing, but we did have a good Wayne time. Wayne didn't get a limo, he got a Brinks truck, so that'll tell you the most. <laughs> we, we caused some controversy though. The, the last scene they, they were doing, they wanted us to to cheer each other with a, with a glass of whiskey or something. And, and both Chip and I said, we don't want to be seen drinking alcohol. And, and we don't want to be our, our, you know, our sponsors and stuff that we work with. It's nothing that I kept lifting business. the glass behind somebody's head so they wouldn't see it. Well, they cut it actually yeah. in the end. They didn't put alcohol. I told them, I said, I don't, because we said we're only showed us all driving out in the desert, going to a party and then all drinking. Yeah. I said, why are we showing drinking and driving? You, Chip, you, you, you told me something a long time ago that I'll never forget. When they first talked to you guys about overhauling, they, they wanted you guys to have drama. They wanted you guys to throw wrenches. And, and you said something I thought that was very impactful, that if you remember what you, what you said about that. Well, we filmed the first episode, and then the second episode was happening, and I showed up at the shop. And they said, before we start, you need to go to a meeting upstairs. And I went upstairs, and there were a few executives. 
I sit down and they say, is there anybody on the A team that you can throw a wrench at or that you can fire? And I said, these guys are all volunteering. I said, I'm not going to throw a wrench at them or get upset with them or fire them. They're not even charging us. And they said, well, it's good for drama. And I said, well, here, here's the thing. I said, I have a shop where I build cars for people. I said, I'm not an actor. I want to show professionals coming together, having a great time doing something special for somebody. If you put me on this show and I start acting like a complete jerk, that's not who I am. And I don't know if we're going to film 500 shows or this could be the last show today. I said, but when we're done, I still need to run my business and I want people to know who they're working with. So I refused and I said, the drama is in what Chris is doing with the owner with all the pranks. And the greatest thing about it is that the viewer at home is in on it. They're a part of this. I said, that's where our drama is, not in the shop. Yeah, I'll tell you that, that the, the tone of the show was kind of finding its own way in the first few episodes. And Chip is the one who's really responsible for setting the tone of the show because we decided early on that we're not gonna have drama, we're gonna have fun. And we're gonna celebrate the car and, and we're building this car for a person who has this emotional attachment to the car. So we're gonna have fun and show how much we love doing this for the person. And that just kind of took on a life of its own. And that's really what Overhaul is really known for is having fun in the shop, not this drama that was happening on other shows. Yeah, I never considered Overhaul to be a car show. It was a people show. Yeah. And the cars were the catalyst to tell their stories. I think too that, um the shows that came before ours, so Boyd Coddington's show, there was drama in that. There was a lot of people throwing things around and doing things, and everybody's getting mad. And, and it was the producers that created that because they go to Boyd and say, do you know what he said about you yesterday? And Boyd, come out of the office, you know? Well, I think that our shows changed that, you know? So there's no drama in my show. There was drama, but it wasn't that type of drama in your show. And I think it all sort of switched from that throwing the tools and kicking wheels and tires, but yet it's created on the TV show by the producer sometimes, and then it gets out of hand. Fortunately, we never had that because I refused to have it. it the was drama just, of your show is when you open the door. And that's right. Oh, right. That's right. Wow. And, and a, lot of people, a lot of people comment, and I'm sure Chip gets his comment too, how much they, they love the fact that we don't have drama that's right. yeah. in overhauling and that we are well, having And another thing too is, is that, you know, parents always say, thank gosh I can have my family sit down with me and watch Chasing Classic Cars and not hear any bleeping, not have anybody get angry with each other, and it's a real family show. And that, and that means more to me yeah. than anything in the yeah. world. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Like, yeah. like cars. Yeah, it's, clap for that. That's a good thing to clap for. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Really quick for those who don't know, you know, I talked a little bit about Ray doing a voice for us in Cars 3. Chip has a connection with us with Cars as well that goes pretty far back. So back when we started on the first Cars film, you guys know who Ramon is? He's the low rider in town. He's married to Flo. Um, we thought, you know, we're, we're decent artists. We know, how to, we know how to draw these cars as characters, but none of us are custom paint job people. And we're thinking, who, who would know how to make a cool paint job for Ramon? And I don't know who got a hold of you or how we got a hold of you. Well, I met you guys at the SEMA show when I had built the Speedbird. That's right. And started talking with John Lasseter about building one of those for his wife. That's right. And then he asked me, he says, what's another great show I can take the team to in our research for the Cars film? And I said, well, up near your headquarters is Pleasanton and the good guys has the Street Rod Nationals every year. And that's coming up and it was just a couple months away. 
So he says, okay, well, well, are you going to be up there? I said, yeah, I'll be there. So I met all of you there. Yep. But I had come up with Christopher Titus, who's a stand-up comic, and at the time he had his show Titus. Well, I had built a 56 handyman wagon for him, and I flamed that car. And when John saw the flames, he came over to me and says, hey, he says, I have a character in the film. It's a 59 Impala. Impala. Yeah. And I want to do them purple with flames. Would you design those flames? And I was, I was just talking about this today to another friend of mine, how I absolutely loved when I came up to Pixar and you guys walked me into this hallway with all these doors and these real narrow long rooms and each room was full of all of these drawings and it was the whole movie laid out in all these different rooms from start to finish. And you were telling me that for two and a half years, you'll go in and act out, you know, you've got all the scenes storyboarded yep. and written and each of you will go in there and act out the film and then change things. And you walked me into, I think it was probably door number seven. <laughs> and that was where Ramon was being introduced. And each of you did the characters' voices and talked like, like this was the film. And that's how I got to meet Ramon. And then John asked me to start doing sketches. So I did sketches that day there. Yeah. And then I took things home and did more drawings and sent them back and forth. And then I would get notes back. And it was an absolute honor to work with all of you. At it Pixar. was great. And for those of you who don't know, this man can draw. And he can draw fast, and he can draw really well. Yeah, when you're, when you're doing a signing with him, it's sort of a pain in the neck. So we're all sitting at a table, and we're signing, people are walking by. And there's Chip, and, and he's drawing a car for each person. Come on, Chip. He, I, want, I, I, want like, yeah. I want like 100 hours of my life back. Yeah. Like, <laughs> chip so, at a signing. So I started signing really slow. Yeah. Tried right. to keep up with Chip. That's why I was doing drawings. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you something about Chip and, and drawing. You know, we, we've traveled a lot together and taken a lot of flights together. And, you know, I'll be reading a, a magazine or, or, you know, watching a, a video or something. And Chip is constantly, constantly drawing and creating and designing. And one of my most prized possessions I have, and um, it's in my house. I, I believe I framed it. It's, it's a sketch of a moon unit, like a moon buggy that he did on a barf bag. <laughs> it's just so awesome. It's like, yeah, it's like such, a, such a yin and yang, you know? Yeah, it's amazing piece of art, <laughs> barf bag. It's a, I just love it. We've, we've traveled and, and done a lot of things together for sponsors and stuff, but I think one of the, the coolest things is we all went to Daytona together for the Daytona 500. And so we're, we're with Craftsman Tools and, and Mac Tools with Stanley Black and Decker, and, and we got taken to the track the morning of the race and we got introduced to all the drivers. We're sitting up here and the drivers are out there and we're being introduced to them, which was surreal to me. And then Tony said, hey, there's a special place I want you guys to see the beginning of the race. And we thought we we're gonna go sit in the grandstands at the start finish line. And he kept going deeper into the pits. And he says, you go up on that transporter, there's somebody up there waiting for you guys. We walked up and Richard Petty was standing there waiting for us. And we watched the beginning of the Daytona 500 on his transporter with Richard. Boy, yeah, I tell just you what, us and the king. What a great I mean, it was, time. It wow. was surreal. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was really cool. And then he told the story about, I think it was 1967. And Ray, I have to apologize because I don't remember the names that he said. But he says, now 1967, I, I, I ran this race and I never led the race until Billy Bob and Zozo, they spun out right there. And I led the race from there to right there, and that's all it took. From there to right there, I was first place, and I won the race. <laughs>
That's it. That's all it takes. We only have a few minutes left and I want to have Ray and Tori come back up. While we got this moment, let me introduce you to our new magazine. This is my own magazine. It's called The Chase. Did you find that go-kart somewhere? Yes, actually, we, we did. We did a story in there about Mickey Rupp and how oh, cool. instrumental he was on all of our lives between yeah. mini bikes and go-karts. I mean, I, I was a huge go-kart kid. My, my cousin had a, a Rupp go-kart and he was about six foot two, weighed about 200 pounds. And he asked me to, to drive it one day and he found out what a 50 pound kid could do in a go-kart compared <laughs> to him close to 200 pounds. And it was my go-kart from that point in time. And I raced everybody else and won most of the time because of that fun. power to weight ratio. Yeah. So is there any questions? And, and then maybe, do we have a microphone? Oh yes, yeah. okay. I do have actually two questions because, and I can ask two questions because I know people around here. The, fir <laughs> the first question is for you, Rain. When it comes up, when the position comes up, can I apply for the job of dubbing you in English? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you mean proper English? Proper English, Properly. I can okay. do it. I can do it. And then the, You're second, hired. the second question, and I'm sure it's on everybody's minds, is it safe to duck behind a car if you're being shot at? Does anybody know? Tori, he, they did get behind the car and they proved that the engine was enough to stop it, but if you're in the wrong place, I think it would go clear through the car. It also depend on the caliber of gun, if I remember. But keep in mind, this is a 68 Cadillac, so that is an armored car probably. Hefty car. <laughs> Don't try this at home. I need to know. Don't try this at home. An Austin Healy isn't gonna be good enough no. for that, trust me. Especially <laughs> not a Sprite. Definitely not a bug eye Sprite, no. A fabric body, three liter Bentley, no. No, no, no. no, no. For Chris and Chip, did any, on overhauling, did any of the marks that were ever disappointed in what you did to their cars? No, I mean, for, for the most part, no. I think we had one, one person who expressed some displeasure, but... That wasn't the mark, that was the mark's husband. You know they didn't pay anything for the car to be done. It was a gift. I, I wasn't worried about it. <laughs> 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 no, for I anybody, mean, 99% were, were over the moon and, and, and wanted it to happen and were very, very pleased with whatever, you know, Chip and the A-team did to the car. And you guys did, a, I mean, it, there was a ton of rust repair and like body repair. And I mean, you, it was not just a, a spray and buff. There was full rotted out turds that you guys brought back to life. We, we did a 65 Mustang that the nickname of the car became Rustang because the only panels we kept were the doors and the door jams and the roof panel. Everything else was- That replaced. was the name of the episode, was Rustang. Rustang. It was literally- people, people don't really realize how much work you guys did. And I mean, days. You, you were great of coming back in and going, here's what they're doing now, here's what they're doing now, but it really was a, a, a tip of the iceberg for how much work you guys had to put into these cars. I mean, any of us here who work on our own cars, to do what they did at that level in eight days is, astronomical. Oh, uh, My dad was involved with that show and he knew exactly how to fix it. Crazy. The lackeys nomad, you guys had to entire rebuild the entire frame and floor pan. When I went to take his nomad and I grabbed the door handle to open the door, the door was stuck, but the whole side of the car came out with, oh. <laughs> all right, we're gonna fix this. <laughs> Gold wing doors, maybe. We have That's another we question. we doing them in eight days. Yes, sir. Hi, um, question for Chip, I've got two new car fans they just raced uh, go-karts at, at laguna seca but they're also aspiring artists and wondering when you started drawing cars and then my son connor has a question for wayne what was your favorite car that you brought back my favorite car we brought back well was that for chip or for myself that's for you oh that's for me probably 
getting that Stutz Bearcat running that was sitting in the garage for many, many years, that was very satisfying. And, and my friend Ralph Morano was sitting in the front row and Adeline, they rode in it when we were here at Pebble Beach. And I think that that was the best one. Yeah, probably were. And for me, my father was quite a talented artist himself and fabricator. And at the age of three years old, you know, I loved watching my dad draw and I would sit next to him. He would be drawing and I had my own pad and pencil and I was copying whatever he was drawing. And when he finished, he would leave the drawing on the table and I would draw it over and over and over again because he was my hero and I wanted to be as good as him. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it looks like we're going to wrap this up. We hope you really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I sure enjoyed it. I learned some things today. Thank you guys yeah. so much. Thank you, Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you all. Thanks, everybody. Hi, Ralph. You know, we, it's really cool when you can call your friends and say, be in California on this day at this time, <laughs> and they all show up. It's amazing. It, well, it, it was here. only a 12-hour flight to get here, Wayne. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm pretty dedicated. I called Max. I said, can you come and be the moderator? And he said, sure, I can. And I said, oh, wait a minute. He's, he's in Europe. What am I going to do? You know, do? you're the only reason that I'm here. Oh, well, thank you. Nothing else going on this week. I'm just here to you see got Wayne. nothing else going on, right? Yep. Thanks again, everyone. Thanks. Thank you thank very you. much for coming. Thank you. Jay, what an experience talking to our friends about all their experiences with cars. Yeah, I mean, how lucky are we that we get to sit down with these people that we know and love and talk to them about their automotive world? Well, if you thought that was great, just wait, because we have tons of more great content coming up on this podcast series. So get ready, and we'll see you down the road. Until then, see you later, Wayne. CJ, see you, Matt. Take care. <laughs>